I had preached a message that was titled Jerusalem City of Destiny. And in that message, I highlighted what the Bible teaches about the future of Jerusalem. And we saw in that message that they have an incredible future awaiting for them and their restoration will be totally complete. Okay. And I'm just going to show you a couple of verses from that message. Isaiah 62, verse 1, For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness, and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth, and the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness, and all kings thy glory, and thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate, but thou shalt be called Hebzibah, and thy land Beulah. For the Lord delighteth in thee. That's what Hebzibah is. It means the Lord delights in thee. And thy land shall be married. That's what the name, that's what Beulah means. It means Beulah. So we can see that Jerusalem will one day be restored. And the people of the city will be restored. And the whole pe the people, the city, and this verse says, shall be the cr a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and shall no more be termed forsaken. This description of Jerusalem that we've just read is a far cry from what it has been for the past five, 6,000 years, okay? Even when Jesus Christ was in the world, when he was here, he said unto them, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So when the Lord returns, things will change drastically for Jerusalem. You know, I don't think, I don't think that I could find a person who believes the Bible, who would argue that Jerusalem is in for a fantastic and incredible future under the headship and the governorship of Jesus Christ. I'm pretty sure that everyone could agree on that, right? Jerusalem will be restored. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure that when this concept is mentioned in a denomination, no one would even bat an eye or flinch that this is real truth, okay? However, you tell the same people that Sodom will be re returned to its former glory, and you get the angriest responses. People get upset at you that you would even suggest that 
a concept like Sodom is going to be restored. And to that response, I say, why? Why do you think it's unreasonable for God to restore Jerusalem and Sodom? Well, I think some of the responses would be because Sodom was vile and corrupt and Jerusalem is the city of the great king. He has to restore it. He has to restore Jerusalem. That's where he will reign from in the millennium. Well, that's true. He will reign there from the millennium. But I would say that the whole concept, the whole answer is wrong because, yes, Sodom was desperately evil, a desperately evil city. But what most people are unaware of is that Jerusalem was worse. That's what we're going to examine in this message. Now, if you have your Bibles in front of you, find Ezekiel chapter 16, okay? And I would highly encourage you to go there. Yes, I'm going to put the verses up here, but there's some verses I'd like you to see with your own eyes, because unless you see them with your own eyes, the narrative of Christendom will, will disable you from believing what I'm going to say. You have to see it in your Bible, okay? Now, Ezekiel 16 is a, is a, is a very long chapter, but we learn a lot about Jerusalem and Sodom and Samaria in Ezekiel chapter 16. The chapter begins like this in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 1. Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations. Now, the rest of the chapter is filled with rebukes to Jerusalem. And I, yeah, I wish we could read the whole chapter, but like I say, I just don't have time to read. It's a very, very long chapter. But we're going to jump in at verse 15, okay? But thou didst trust in thine own, he's talking to Jerusalem. Thou didst trust in thine own beauty and played as the harlot because of thy renown and poured out thy fornications on everyone that passed by. His it was. God's it was. But thou didst trust in thine own beauty and playest the harlot because of thy renown and pouredest out thy fornication on everyone that passed by. Oh, I did that twice. <laughs> Sorry. Verse 16. And, and of thy garments. Thou, that's what happens when you're sick, folks. You, 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 you do things and... Anyway, I know you forgive me. Verse 16. And of thy garments thou didst take, and deckest thy high places with divers colors, and playedest the harlot thereupon. The like things shall not come, neither shall it be so. Thou hast also taken thy fair jewels of my gold and my silver, which I had given thee, and and madest to thyself images of men, and didst commit whoredoms with them, and tookest thy broidered garments, and coverest them. And thou hast set mine oil and my incense before them, my meat also which I gave thee, fine flour, oil, and honey, wherewith I fed thee. Thou hast even set it before them for a sweet savor. And thus it was, saith the Lord. 
Moreover, thou hast taken thy sons and thy daughters, whom thou hast borne unto me, and these hast thou sacrificed unto them to be devoured. Is this of thy whoredoms a small matter? Now, God goes on here throughout this chapter. That it's a rebuke and it's an expose of Jerusalem. And I won't read all of it like I said, but we'll jump in at verse 46. And God makes a comparison between Sodom and Samaria and Jerusalem. And this is what you need to see and read with your own eyes in your own Bible, okay? Notice Ezekiel chapter 16. And thine elder sister is Samaria, she and her daughters that dwell at thy left hand. And thy younger sister that dwelleth at thy right hand is Sodom and her daughters. Yet hast thou not walked after their ways, nor done after their abominations, but as if that were a very little thing, listen, about Jerusalem, thou was corrupted more than they in all thy ways. Now the next verses are for those who, when you say Sodom will be restored, they think you're crazy. And all they can say is that they were too defiled and they were too evil for God to restore them because they sinned beyond measure. Well, is that what the Bible says? Verse 48, as I live, saith the Lord, the Lord God, Sodom thy sister hath not done, she nor her daughters, as thou hast done, thou and thy daughters. Behold. This was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. So the sins of Sodom were basically the sins of every typical man on earth, okay? Pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness, neither... Did she strengthen the hand of the, the poor and needy? And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. So God did take them away, okay? As I saw good, I mean, as I saw good. So as you can see, God's analysis of Sodom is far different than the view Christendom has of it. Did they sin? Were they sinners? Of course. Verse 51, neither has Samaria committed half thy sins, but thou hast multiplied thine abominations more than they, listen to this, and hast justified thy sisters in all thine abominations which thou hast done. Think about that. Think about that. You've multiplied more than what they, Sodom and Samaria did. Thou also, which has judged thy sisters, bear thine own shame for thy sins that thou hast committed more abominable than they. Listen to this. They are more righteous than thou. They are more righteous than thou? Jerusalem, Sodom, and Samaria are more righteous than you. Be thou confounded also, and bear thy shame, 
in that thou hast justified thy sisters. They were more righteous than thou. Both Sodom and Samaria are more righteous than Jerusalem. I mean, you think about that. Jerusalem was so evil that she made Sodom and Gomorrah and Samaria look righteous. Now, you're not going to hear that from Christendom, are you? You know, the amazing part of all of this is that Jerusalem only returns to her former estate. Like we read in Isaiah chapter 62 there, right? She only returns to her former estate after Sodom and Samaria have been returned to their former estate. Now, that is so contrary to anything that you have ever learned or been taught in any box that you have ever been in and that you ever left, right? But here's the verse that says what I'm talking about right now. When thy sisters, Sodom, and her daughters shall return to their former estate, and Samaria and her daughters shall return to their former estate, then, then and only then, thou and thy daughters, Jerusalem, shall return to your former estate. Now, I ask you this question here. How did Christendom get this so wrong? You know, we've all heard big-time preachers on TV stand behind their pulpits and say, if God doesn't judge America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. You've heard that, right? That's totally inaccurate. If the concept of eternal conscious torment were biblical, Okay, it most certainly is not. It's not biblical. But if it was, the proper thing to say is, if God doesn't judge America, he's going to have to apologize to Jerusalem. That's the truth. And the very simple reason for that, as we have seen, is because Sodom was righteous compared to Jerusalem. Amen? Amen? Now, Ezekiel 16 isn't the only place where this idea of Sodom being less than Jerusalem or Bethsaida or Capernaum is mentioned. You can see that the real response believers have should really be directed at Jerusalem, not Sodom. <laughs> right? Right? People shouldn't be upset with Jerusalem. Because according to God, Sodom was more righteous than Jerusalem. So when Jesus Christ was in the world, he knew exactly what was going on. He knew exactly what happened back there. He know, I mean, yeah, the God rained fire and brimstone down. Absolutely. And he destroyed them all. Yeah, that's right. But. Let's just, keep, let's just keep going here, okay? Here's Jesus Christ speaking in Matthew chapter 11. And he says, Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! That's where Peter's from. If the, for if the mighty works which were done in you 
had been done in Tyre and Sidon. They would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. Then he goes on, Matthew eleven twenty three, and thou Capernaum, that Capernaum was his headquarters. That's where he lived. That's where Jesus Christ spent much of his time. Wherefore, and thou Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven. Exalted unto heaven means that they have such a special position because of who was in their midst. Which art exalted unto heaven shall be brought down to hell. Hell, the word hell is Hades, which is the grave. They're going to be brought down to the grave. Not some place of eternal conscious torment. For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, Sodom would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Now, let's just hold on right here and just let's take a breath and take this in. Try to understand this as best as we can. If judgment was the day that all of Christendom thinks it's going to be a day of total destruction, what could be more tolerable? What part of destructive judgment could ever be more tolerable than any other part? The day of judgment, folks, is the day when the fires of purification and the refining fires purge Israel, like Malachi chapter 3, the first six, seven verses say, that when, he, when Jesus Christ comes, when he returns, he will purge and refine. That's what he's going to do. And he's going to refine Israel because they need to become a kingdom of priests, okay? Now, a beautiful picture of what happens at the day of judgment is found in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man said, I am tormented in this flame, right? It was more tolerable. It was not more tolerable, I should say, for the rich man than it will be for Sodom. You remember the rich man said, I'm tormented. And the word is Bosani. Remember that? It's the touchstone where you know, you, you, you rub gold on it to see if it's real gold or if it's fake gold. That's, what, that's what's going to be happening to Israel is that when God burns out the, 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 the gold, the tin, the, the lead, the, the brass from their lives, which are all representative of some human characteristic, okay? So it was not more tolerable for the rich man. The reason that it will be more tolerable for Sodom and less tolerable for Capernaum is because Sodom, now listen to this and think about this carefully. Sodom did not sin against any light or knowledge that they had. Capernaum, like I mentioned a while ago, was where Jesus Christ made his home and where the residents of Capernaum saw many of his miracles and proof of who he was. Sodom had no such luxury. Capernaum sinned against the light they had. 
and according to the Bible, to whom much is given, much shall be required. Now, according to Christendom, this is the day of judgment, the day of that men are thrust into eternal conscious torment. See? See, the only, the only thing that Christendom can think about Sodom is that they're gone and they're spending eternity suffering in hell. But you think about this. In verse 24 here, something is more tolerable for the land of Sodom. Let me ask you this. What part of eternal conscious torment could possibly be tolerable? I mean, look. If I hold a lighter here, right? It's going to burn like hell. Forgive my vernacular. But if I stick my hand into a bonfire, it's still going to burn like hell. You know what I mean? Forgive my vernacular, but it's the best picture I could give you because. But what, what part of those little flame or the big flame, what part of it is tolerable? <laughs> there is nothing tolerable about eternal conscious torment even if you're burning in a less hot place in hell like they teach. So the day of judgment is not the day when people are thrust into eternal conscious torment because there is not one part of that that could be tolerable. The idea that you could be separated from God, your heavenly father, who is love for all of eternity, there is nothing tolerable about that. See, according to Jesus Christ, if Sodom had the light that these cities had, Sodom would have repented and it would have remained until this day. It would have remained. But Sodom never received the light of the knowledge of God or the knowledge of the Son of God through no fault of their own. Now, they had nothing to do with that. Now, certainly a question that arises from this is, how come Sodom did not have as great a chance at redemption as Capernaum and Bethsaida and Chorazin? It's obvious these cities had light. But according to Christendom, even if Sodom did not have light, they will suffer eternal consequences. Right? Let, 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 me, let me just repeat that phrase because even if Sodom did not have light of any kind about God, they will still suffer the eternal consequences as though they had rejected God, as though they had rejected Jesus Christ, as though they had reject, rejected the offer of the gospel and nothing could be further from the truth. They never had that light. They never had it, okay? But according to Christendom, they're still going to suffer eternal consequences for that. Now, how is this fair to those people? One group gets light and another group doesn't get light. You know, look around the world to you today and that's pretty much what the world is like. There are nations today that don't know who Jesus Christ is or what he accomplished for them. And according to Christendom, 
they're all going to perish in eternal conscious torment. Where is the justice in that? Think about this. God sends his son into the world to die for the sins of the whole world. But then God can't even make sure that most of the people who have ever lived will get to hear about what the Savior accomplished on that cross. Number one, what kind of God, what kind of weak God is that? And how is that helpful to those people? You know, most of Christians just say that oh, they're just going to die and burn forever. The only solution to this dilemma is that everyone is going to get a chance. Yes, I'm going to say it even after death. Okay, now listen. Sodom didn't have any light. And yet we read in Ezekiel 16 that they will be restored to their former estate. If Sodom is going to be restored, remember this, okay? There are no descendants of Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, there's no, no, nobody alive today can say, well, my, you know, my, my, my grandparents used to live in Sodom. <laughs> they were all destroyed, every one of them. So the only way they can be restored is, is if something happens to them in the future, long after they died. It's the only way. Look, it's confirmed for us. Ezekiel. 16, I read this a while ago, read it again. When I shall bring again their captivity, the captivity of Sodom and her daughters, and the captivity of Samaria and her daughters, then will I bring again the captivity of thy captives in the midst of them. That's Jerusalem. He's talking about Jerusalem there. Verse 54, that thou mayest bear thine own shame and mayest be confounded in all that thou hast done, in that thou art a comfort unto them. Notice, when thy sister Sodom and her daughters shall return to their former estate, and Samaria and her daughters shall return to their former estate, then thou and thy daughters, Jerusalem, shall return to your former state. Well, we know Jerusalem. We know Jerusalem is going to be restored for sure. That, that's, I, I mean, Isaiah 60, 61, 62 is all about that and all throughout Isaiah. So in light of what we, we read about Jerusalem and her pride and her abominations, the shocking truth to those who believe in eternal conscious torment should stun them. The truth of Jerusalem should stun them that a city who was worse than Sodom is going to be returned to their former estate. Another thing, another thing about verse 55 is that how can, how can a city that was destroyed a couple, 3,000 years before Ezekiel wrote this, how can a city that was already destroyed and now it's a people who have not been around for a long time, how can they be mentioned 
or spoken of as returning to their former estate. How could that be? If they're returning, it has to be in the resurrection where everyone who never had the light of the gospel are going to see the Lord Jesus Christ where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yeah, people may be shocked at this truth, but that is what this is teaching. This is teaching these people are coming back and being returned to their former estate, which is glorious. You should be thankful. People should actually be shocked that Jerusalem is going to be restored because let's face it, for most of them until now, they, 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 they were thinking that Sodom was worse than Jerusalem. But now they know the truth. They know the truth from the word of God itself. Sodom was righteous compared to Jerusalem. And you know, when you look, when you look at this verse, Verse 55 on the board, it, it also destroys another false doctrine that is floating around out there. And I'm talking about the doctrine of annihilation, annihilationism. That's the teaching that evil men will not be resurrected, but they will be totally destroyed out of existence. This verse proves that that concept cannot be true that that concept is a lie and that concept is wrong. Let me, let me share this, okay? I just thought about this last night I'm, as I was sitting here work, you know, putting some notes together for this. There are really only two kinds of believers that live on this planet right now. Those who know and understand the complete and finished work of the cross and, and, and glory only in the cross and what was accomplished there for all mankind. That's one group. And then there's this other group who think that the cross was put into the earth to be available to some. It's available. That is the view of all the boxes you have ever been in and the boxes that you have left. That was their view, okay? That the cross is available. It's only available. That's not how it is. Sodom, Sodom is returned to her former estate. But because she was not as evil as Jerusalem, Sodom is restored first and then Jerusalem. Could that, could that be what Jesus Christ meant? The first shall be last, the last shall be first. Jerusalem had light. Capernaum had light. Let's say that they had light, they sinned again. They were first. Sodom was last. She didn't have any light. And yet Sodom is restored first. And then Jerusalem. And then the amazing thing about this chapter is how it ends. Ezekiel chapter 16, it's how the chapter ends. Because Jerusalem is set to be a blessing to all the nations of the world because of the covenant that God made with them. 
See, although they've been total failures and they were worse than Sodom and Gomorrah and Samaria and Edom and Moab, we could look at other passages of scripture that talk about those cities in the same light that we're looking at right now. But in spite of everything that Israel, Jerusalem was guilty of, Ezekiel 16, 59, for thus saith the Lord God, I will even deal with thee as thou hast done, which has despised the oath in breaking the covenant. Now they broke the covenant. Nevertheless, okay, you men of Jerusalem, you broke the covenant. Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with thee in the days of thy youth, and I will establish unto thee an everlasting covenant. And the word everlasting does not mean endless, okay? It doesn't mean, it means abiding for a certain amount of time, which is in the millennium. Things change after the millennium and we go into the eternal state. All of our, everybody's relationship with God changes. You don't need mercy in eternity to come. You don't need grace. You don't need long suffering. God's not going to need patience. Everybody's going to be in the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's how it's going to be. But God says, you broke the covenant, but I'm going to remember it. Then thou shalt remember thy ways and be ashamed when thou shalt receive thy sisters, Sodom and Samaria. You're, they're going to receive their sisters because of this covenant that God has made and is not forgetting and will keep thine elder and thy younger. And I will give them unto thee for daughters, but not by thy covenant. And I will establish my covenant with thee, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. You see, although Jerusalem was worse, God is keeping, God is a covenant-keeping God. And he will keep his covenant with those people and fulfill the promises that he made because God cannot lie. Okay, so in this story of Sodom, we learn the real truth about how they never sinned against light. They never sinned against the gospel. They acted out their animal passions in total ignorance of God. What they did is they exercised the prerogatives of their fallen nature to the ultimate. That's what they did. But still, they were not as bad as Jerusalem, okay? Everything Sodom and Samaria and Moab and Edom and the other nations did was done in total ignorance of God. Now, here's good news for everybody. Fortunately, there is a sacrifice for the sin of ignorance. And the sacrifice brings forgiveness. Forgiveness. Now, I love what I'm going to share with you right now. I, lo I love it. Remember in Acts chapter 3, when Peter is accusing those who killed Jesus Christ of his murder. 3.14, but ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And 
his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong. That was at the beautiful gate of the temple, Acts chapter 3. Whom ye see and know, yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I want, W-O-T means, I know, I'm aware of, I understand that through ignorance, ye did it, as also did your rulers. So through ignorance is the key in what Peter is saying to these people. Now, notice what Paul says about himself. 1 Timothy 1.12, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Now, when you think about it, everyone who rejects Christ has always acted in ignorance. Always. Okay? So, Peter pleads ignorance for, those, for the sin of those who killed Jesus Christ. Paul pleads ignorance for the things he did. Blasphemer, persecutor, injurious. And he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, man. He was, he was highly esteemed as the one of the smartest men who ever lived, and yet he persecuted those who believed in the Messiah. And he did that ignorantly, in ignorance. Now, where did both Peter and Paul get the idea that they could plead ignorance as an escape from God's disfavor? Well, when Jesus Christ was on the cross, he spoke these words. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. For they know not what they do is the sin of ignorance. You see that? On the cross, from the cross, looking down on those who put him there, Jesus Christ says, Father, forgive them. How did he know he could pray for forgiveness for the sin of ignorance? Very simple. Numbers 15, 28. And the priest shall make an atonement for the soul that sinneth ignorantly. When he sinneth by ignorance before the Lord, for the soul that sinneth ignorantly, when he sinneth by ignorance before the Lord to make an atonement for him, notice, and it shall be forgiven him. Now, what we don't think about is that Contained within the sacrifice of Calvary is every sacrifice that the Levitical system had to offer. There were many sacrifices in the Levitical system, and each of them dealt with a certain issue of, for humanity, okay? Now, included in the sacrifice of Calvary was the sacrifice for the sin of ignorance. That was there. This is, listen, this is the sin of the whole world. 
This is what the whole world is guilty of. I mean, if you can wrap your head around the significance of this sacrifice, you will end up understanding why the salvation of all is the only doctrine the Bible teaches. Because all are ignorant of the ways of God, especially Christendom. You know, I remember, I remember as I, you know, I was growing up, like in my later teens, early 20s, you know, I was conscious of God, but I was ignorant of God. You know, there was a time when I said to myself, you know, when I stand before God, I'm just going to say, I didn't know. I remember saying that to myself way back, way back when, a long time ago, right? Even as a person who didn't believe unto salvation yet, somehow I knew that I could plead ignorance. I had no idea how scriptural that was. But I was in ignorance. The whole world is in ignorance. Listen, you've heard people say, right? The Bible says that God helps those who help themselves. The Bible does not say that. People are ignorant of God and his ways. You know, it's a worldwide ignorance. But you can see that it's very scriptural. So scriptural that both Peter and Paul appealed to the sin of ignorance as the reason for Paul's forgiveness and Peter for the people who killed Jesus Christ's forgiveness. This truth of the sin of forgiveness is what makes the salvation of all possible, and that's what accomplishes it. I mean, look, you look around you. You look up and down your street. There are some people probably who do go to church. Look in your, your apartment building, okay? Many people don't go to church. Many people have nothing to do with religion. But even those that do, that do go to church, they're confused about what a person must do to be saved or what a person must do to go to heaven. Many of them have works as part of the process. Now, why do they think that? Because they're ignorant of God's ways. So the truth about the sacrifice for the sins of ignorance truly covers every person in the whole world, religious or not, saved or not, going to church or not. Everyone has been guilty of the sin of ignorance. And even if the smartest, think about it, even the smartest Jew that ever lived, Paul, fell into the sin of ignorance then we know that no one is exempt from it. But, you know, thank the Lord. And this should be good news. Such good news on those who are bent on sending everyone into eternal conscious torment. You know, carrying that burden around, that you really believe God is burning his own children for all eternity, something you would never do as a parent, something you would never do as a mother, something you would never do as a father, something you would never do as your sister to your brother, 
something your brother, you as a brother, would never do to your sister. People who believe, believe the gospel, have this thing inside of them. And I, I'm sure, as I think back on it, I mean, I was never a big proponent of preaching about hell. I, I just never, I just never could. But anyway, that has to be such a burden to carry around. Imagine having as a part of your doctrine, always in your heart, that your father, your heavenly father is really a monster, that he's going to burn his own children forever. Why do they think that? Because of the sin of ignorance. That's why. It's the sin of ignorance. But the savior of the world, he fixed that problem. He fixed the problem at the cross and by the cross. So, you know, people can remain in ignorance if they want to. They can. They have that right. They can do that. But I would rather believe what the Bible has to say about Sodom than the narrative Christen, Christendom made up about it. Because when you think about, when you think about the narrative that Christendom has put on the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, it's totally the opposite of what the Bible teaches. Totally, 100% diametrically opposed to what the Bible teaches. But I ask you this, should we expect anything different? I've made my journey through Christendom. I made my journey, you know, I paid my dues in Christendom. From the Pentecostal church to the Plymouth Brethren to the Nazarenes to the independent fundamental Baptists to own Bible studies to mid-acts, dispensationalism. Every one of those boxes has the same view about Sodom. They believe that it was destroyed and it's gone forever because they don't believe the words in Ezekiel chapter 16 because it's so contrary to the narrative. The narrative has more power on them than the word of God itself. And that is a fact. That is a fact. Okay? So, I said I didn't really have a long message today, so I don't. But I wanted to bring this up to you today and help you understand there is more to this book than what Christendom can teach you. That is for doggone sure. So I'm excited about it. You know, you might say, well, you're excited to meet people from Sodomy. Better believe it. They're not going to be like they were in Sodom. They're going to have renewed spirits, renewed soul, a whole new body, a new outlook, a new thinking, an appreciation for God, for the resurrection, for seeing Jesus Christ. Oh, that's what we missed back there. Yeah, that's what you missed. So anyway, I'm going to let you go today. Now, my surgery is in two weeks from now, not next Friday, but the Friday after, I believe Thursday or Friday, August 11th. <laughs> so I don't know if I'll be doing something next week. I'll, I'll see what I can come up with, but then I got to go for that surgery and uh, 
It'll be a few weeks after that before I can come back, but then we'll get back into it. It's hard preparing one message. It's hard re preparing a message out of, out of nowhere. Just, you know, cause all my messages for the past years always followed each other week after week. So now I'm just picking things out of the blue and uh, let me talk about this subject, but, but anyway, folks, I hope that this message is an eye opener for you and that, you know, you'll take this to heart and realize, man, not only is there a lot that is misunderstood about the Bible, even what's in the Bible in clear fifth grade English is misunderstood. Because like I preached two weeks ago, there's a fog that hovers over the Bible. You know, men don't understand. There's none that seeketh after God. Natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. These, these are all part of the problem of religions in our world. We shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised that everything is confused right now. But that's what God is going to fix. God is going to remove all that ignorance. God is going to remove all that confusion. And it's going to be a great day when all this is over and we move on into the eternal state, which is where we are all going. Jesus Christ is the savior of the whole world. Not my words, the Bible's words, unbelieved by 99.9% .9 of Christendom. But that's par for the course, and that's we should accept that, expect that. Amen. Anyway, folks, it's great seeing you, and it's great being with you again on Sunday morning. And let's just close with a word of prayer. Our gracious God and our Father, we are so thankful for the Word of God. And if we read slowly enough and take our time, and listen to what saith the scripture, we will find out that we listen to a lot of the wrong things in our past. But I'm thankful that we can stop and smell the roses and, and the word of God and hover around verses and say, wait, wait, what does this say? And then our eyes are opened and our understanding is opened. And we begin to see the things, yea, the deep things of God and what he wants us to know. And for this, I am so thankful. Lord, I thank you for all these that have joined us today. I pray that this message will find lodging in their hearts and that these words will be forged upon the tablets of their heart and strengthen them in their understanding that God is not the monster that has been presented to us for years and years, even millennia. I thank you for Jesus Christ. I thank you that he came to the cross, that he died, he was buried, he rose again the third day. And in this day that we live in, this is the only way of salvation. But it's not over yet. This is where those that believe are blessed, especially those that believe. But God is the Savior of all men. Pray these things today in that name 
that is above every name, the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.